Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of Chatting Cinema. Um, happy to be back here. Today we're going to be talking Martin Scorsese's comments about cinema and Marvel movies, um, coming-of-age films, and things we've seen recently. So, I'm Gianni. Uh, I'm Flynn, and this is our friend Alex. Hi, yep, that's me. And, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. So, Martin Scorsese originally said, before writing an op-ed in the New York Times, that Marvel films are not cinema. And when he explained this, he said that, um, that cinema is an art form, right? And it, and it brings you the unexpected. And he doesn't believe that in superhero movies this happens. What are our thoughts? Yeah, he, uh, he compared them to theme parks. And I think that uh, that was sort of his way of um, softening the edge mm -hmm. of what he was saying. Because he tried to uh, lean into the idea that theme parks are fun and, and theme right. parks are fine. That's good. But a, a lot of people took offense to this um, because for now a whole generation of people since 2008, the, because a lot of people took his comments to be about the MCU um, because he specified Marvel, not superheroes in general. Uh, so a whole generation has grown up with these movies being their movies and the movies that get them out to movie theaters and things like that. I will say I think that both sides of this argument have a point and that both sides of this argument have gone way too far defending that point. Yeah. Um, so in terms of Marvel movies, you know, as far as I'm concerned, of course they're cinema. I, I mean, they're movies. They're shown in a movie theater. Audiences watch them. Audiences enjoy them. Audiences get emotional reactions from them um, and run the gamut of emotional reactions, whether that be sadness, happiness, whether they're laughing, crying. People get things out of Marvel movies. They most definitely evoke emotional responses. Um, but for the Scorsese side, I feel like his comments, I, I think that the point was lost a little bit. And I think that he's really like trying to get into the fact that independent cinema, when this type of movie dominates the the movie theater screens, um, sort of takes a back seat and and might not. For example, if Avengers Endgame was out and taking up seven screens in a fifteen auditorium movie theater, well, that's only eight screens that can go to other movies. And when you consider other franchise movies, other more expensive movies, then how does a film like The Lighthouse get in there? How does a film like Parasite get in there? So his point is a salient one, and it's that these independent movies, while they don't have the massive budgets or audiences that Marvel movies do, still deserve to be seen by an audience in a movie theater on a big screen. Um, but both sides of sort of like the pro Marvel side is kind of tried to discount Scorsese's opinions. And when Martin Scorsese talks about movies, you listen like mm -hmm. he doesn't have to like Marvel movies for you to keep liking Marvel movies like he he doesn't have to have enjoyed Endgame for you to cry at the ending like those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. So for people to say, like, he doesn't know what he's talking about, this and that, I, I think that that's inherently silly. Yeah. Um, but for the other side of the argument, for people to sort of co-opt these comments and be like, of course Marvel movies aren't cinema and you're dumb if you like them, I, I think that's ridiculous too. Like, like what you like, 
don't like what you don't like. Not everybody has to like the same things. That's what makes movies so great. That's what keeps us getting different movies. Um, so that's just kind of my like initial thoughts about this. Yeah, I mean, and from my point of view, I do think to a certain extent, especially after clarifying the statements, I think Scorsese is right in the way that Marvel movies shouldn't dominate cinema screens, right? We should make room for other independent filmmakers to have their voices and their films seen and heard, right? And, uh, I mean, that's where I come out on it. I do think that he is right in that regard. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, yeah, I get so invested in Marvel films. I am so attached to those characters. And I have been, I grew up with those movies. We all did. Mm -hmm. So uh, I love them, you know. But I do agree that they shouldn't, dominate uh movie theaters so like um the way i took the the his comments more so was on the basis of comparison to other films Mm -hmm. like how some films are like aesthetic choices some films are mainly character driven plots um and that marvel films like when i sit down to the movies and i compare uh i guess an example would be uh later on grand budapest hotel i'll talk Mm -hmm. about a little bit um when i sit down and they're like compare grand budapest hotel to Iron Man 3, which, you know, is probably not the best Marvel movie to bring out. Hey. But um, yeah. when, when I'm asked to compare, I can't. They're to- totally different yeah. genres that, like, does it make the Marvel movie less cinema and more something else? I don't think so. But at the same time, I can't put those in the same, like, realm of thought, right. I guess, is my thoughts on that. Sure. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree with that, and I think it's a good way of looking at it. Um, and But I also think, and, and this is something that... Um, Scorsese sort of mentioned as he because he keeps getting hounded to continuously clarify these comments and I don't think anybody should ask Scorsese about this anymore I don't think people should be going out and asking Francis Ford Coppola about it like people have done and I don't think that Kevin Feige or Bob Iger or James Gunn have to get interviewed about it either because then it's just going to be like a cannibalization of the news cycle like we don't need to keep talking about this over and over again and we don't have to like All of these people that I've just mentioned have so much more interesting things to say about movies and filmmaking. And so ask them about that (laughs) instead of this for now. But um, something that Scorsese has pointed out is that there's a lot of talented people behind these Marvel movies. And whether that be behind the camera, in front of the camera, writing the scripts, whatever. Um, And I do think to an extent they're putting out these movies that are are really solid and have a really good grasp of the stories that they're trying to tell. And just for the MCU's sake, um, what they've done in terms of long-form storytelling over multiple franchises that sort of span different genres and have all these different characters and have them coexist in this universe is really impressive and it's something that we haven't seen. And we can argue the merits of that because now everybody wants to make a cinematic universe and most people have not had the success level that Marvel has. Um, So, and that's another thing about Scorsese's comments that I think he kind of sees that landscape and is like, okay, yeah, Disney's doing it and and they're making all the money, that's fine, but then Universal tries the dark universe and they have all these cool properties with the Universal monsters, right? But because they were trying to to replicate this, this theme park, they failed right out of the gate and then it's done and now you have to wait years to get another universal monster movie or you know we we can talk about the the dc movies who have tried to establish that universe when now with movies like joker coming out now they're making content that people really like by straying away from that formula so i think that scorsese is also looking at that as 
you know, how many movies from these studios and original ideas have we missed out on from them trying to sort of build this grand universe instead of starting slow? Yeah. You know, that makes me think of another thing, which is that Disney Plus comes out Mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow, and and we're going to see Marvel shows come to that streaming service. And Kevin Feige said that you'll have to watch these shows if you want to continue understanding the MCU as a whole. So do you think that's going to take away from the, the quality of, of that long-form storytelling and of those coherent stories that we have to watch it on this streaming service, that we have to watch a, a show in addition to the film? Do you think the films won't stand on their own? I mean, I mean, personally, I think that's just like, it's a very Disney move, I'll, I'll uh, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but honestly, like, supplementary material is just the way it is now. Like, you're always going to be... Like, I think there's very few genres anymore where you can just watch something and it is what it is. Right. You're always going to have material from the outside coming in that just... It, it, it's adding to the quality, but it's also... It, he, and he's saying, from what it sounds like, that it's completely necessary. Like, if you go into a movie, like, you might not know a character coming into it. Mm. Which is a little crazy, I think, just from, like, again, like, a medium perspective. Mm-hmm. Merging television and film usually doesn't happen unless it's, like, a completely uh, rebooted series right. or something like that. So I, I want to see how that translates yeah. in the future. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that, uh, for me, I have to take a, a wait-and-see uh, approach to it as far as Kevin Feige saying this, but, I mean, his job, first and foremost, is, to, is to promote this brand. Yeah. Um, so is he saying that to, to make sure that interest in these shows is sustained or it, you know, how, how necessary is it? Right. Um, is is this just going to be like, you know, oh, well I watched WandaVision and now I, I get this reference in, in Dr. Strange too, or is it like, no, the plot of WandaVision is the pre-plot to, Mm -hmm. to Dr. Strange too. And you, you need to know everything that happened in order to to fully understand anything that's going on in the movie. I can't imagine that that's what they're going to do. It seems like way too big a risk for these big tentpole movies to um, rely on audiences watching. You know, if if we're saying that the series are going to be like six to eight episodes, that's six to eight hours of extra material. I I don't think they're going to bet on that. Um, But I will say, I think that if they find an approach works where it's only a little bit from the shows and then people are watching the shows and then watching the movies and that works, I could see them keep expanding upon that and making more and more of the plot relevant to the television shows to keep everybody watching everything. Right, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, I only ask that because that seems to be the discourse on Twitter right now is that, you know, are these shows going to be that necessary? Right. And to me, I, I agree. I don't think Kevin Feige would take that big of a risk. Uh, Disney, Marvel, the whole company. Um, because you look at movies like Endgame and my parents certainly haven't seen every movie in the MCU. But when they watch Endgame, they can still follow it yeah. and it still stands on its own. Maybe some of the more emotional beats don't hit. Maybe some of the references go over their heads. But they still follow the movie, right. you know. So I do think that that'll continue despite having these new shows on Disney Plus. And like checking Marvel's case history with the Netflix shows and all that, like just going off what we know, I mean, all those shows are really, I think they're pretty good at standalone, mm-hmm. uh, excluding uh, Iron Fist. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> like those all provide great material for the movies. Like 
I never would have understand Coulson as well as I did without right. Agents of Shield. But at the same time, it really didn't impact how yeah. I watched Avengers or how I watched any of the the following films. It's funny that you mention that because I I haven't seen an episode of Agents of Shield. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's worth checking out. It does provide, yeah. like, if you like the Marvel Universe but don't like superpowers. Right. You know, like, yeah. just the, kind of like what normal people do uh, to kind of catch up with the heroes. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I think that wraps up our Martin Scorsese segment. Um, and let's move on into coming-of-age films. I think these are films probably that we've all related to. Um and some that come to mind. Uh, I know, Alex, you mentioned off-camera uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, the animated film from 2018. Uh, an excellent film in its own right, but I also mm. f- I felt it had a very unique story to tell about uh, maybe like a superhero who... Like, a lot of times, again, jumping back into superheroes immediately, right. um, it's all these people who just become ultra-powerful and they're just uh, amazing right off the right, bat. Right, good from the jump, yeah. So, But this is a real story about someone who doesn't really want their powers and kind of it goes along with their growth to grow into the, the responsible position uh, they need to be in. Right. Which I think is like indicative of coming-of-age movies even without superpowers. Yeah. another facet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um, that's something that Spider-Verse does really well. And, and honestly, the, the Harry Potter franchise, um, it's so interesting to view movies like that, like a superhero movie or a... A, a fantasy world like Harry Potter because a lot of times when you're a kid in these situations like growing up and dealing with these things does feel like that gargantuan of a task like you know your math test does feel like destroying a super collider <laughs> to save the multiverse or like talking to to somebody you might have a crush on feels like fighting against the Hungarian horntail so I think that the way those stories are told uh, are really interesting in that, you know, these things feel like otherworldly until you look back on them and you're like, ah, that wasn't that big a deal. But in the moment, as when you're watching these as a kid, you completely relate because you're like, yeah, I'm not fighting against a super collider, but I feel exactly what Miles is feeling yeah. in that moment. Yeah, I think we also, we really relate to the characters of those films and of those TV shows like Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. We've all had that friend group, I think, of where you're you're on your bikes, you're out there, or you're just playing games in someone's basement, um, and we kind of feel that familial connection with just our friends as we're growing up. Right. Um, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, and that's something you know, Stranger Things or or it, you know, dealing with these traumas and these like monsters um, that really can just be stand-ins for for adolescents. Yeah. Um, and going off on that, like, just going into more, like, realistic coming-of-age stories, like, there's Eighth Grade last year, there's uh, Book Smart this year, or um, Euphoria on HBO. I think that a lot of artists that are making these types of coming-of-age projects now really understand what, like, young film fans went through growing up. And they're such realistic, even Spider-Man Homecoming, are such realistic depictions of of what it's like to be a kid, like right now, or just a couple years ago. And I think it's really fascinating to watch that progression of of directors and writers who like really get it, putting out art like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great that you mentioned Eighth Grade and Booksmart and some of these more mature uh, films because that's it, you know? That's what it's like, mm-hmm. and it's kind of scary, but... Yeah, I think they're really important that we have coming-of-age films. Um, do you guys have a favorite? I think if I had to pick, I would go with The Way, Way Back. 
Mm. Um, that was kind of a star-studded cast. Steve Carell, kind of one of his first delves into drama, I think. Tony Collette is in that film. She's great. Um, Hereditary, Knives Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that, to me, was kind of the first uh, coming-of-age movie that I saw. Oh, Sam Rockwell, by the way, is in it. That, I think that's the first one I saw where I was like, I could have been that kid, you know, or that kid is me, or was right. me. And I think that's kind of the catalyst of coming-of-age films is when you can relate to any of the characters in that movie, you know. Um, I think about The Fault in Our Stars, too. Not that I can relate to that story of having cancer, right. <laughs> which is unfortunate, but I think it's just, like I said, it's those connections, I think, and those relationships that are depicted on screen. When they're done well, when they're written well, we can all relate. And I think that's what keeps people coming to the theater for them. Yeah. To bring out like a crazy example, I really, really enjoyed. I guess could you call Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe? Oh, oh absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Uh, coming of age film, and that really dives into relationships and coming mm. out of bad relationships and what's going on there. And I thought, as a, a younger person, I really identified with that. And video games, which mm. sometimes felt like they entered the real world. They permeated right. my life so much. <laughs> so it was just really interesting to see that kind of come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, it's an excellent example. I, I don't know if I could pick a favorite. I, I mean, I I really identify with Peter's journey in, in Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, and that movie's always sort of spoken to me as somebody who has really related to Spider-Man and Peter Parker as a character um, since being five years old. Like, Homecoming, to me, really knocked it out of the park. And, you know, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire... Um, I would say that whole, like, the three middle films of, of Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblet of Fire, and Order of the Phoenix have such an interesting arc of of youth and youthfulness and youthful innocence um, that sort of, I mean, the whole Harry Potter series kind of hits a fever pitch um, when Cedric Diggory dies in, in Goblet of Fire. I don't think that's too big a spoiler to, <laughs> to, yeah, <laughs> to bring up. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, to all my Hufflepuffs. Um, but so Cedric Diggory dying in that graveyard is is the death of Harry's youth um, and sort of him. He's been in this dangerous world for the, the past now four movies at, at Goblet of Fire and, and four books. And But this is the first time he kind of realizes like a kid my age was just murdered in a graveyard and the world does not stop. Like, everything keeps going. You do not get a moment to breathe after Cedric Diggory is killed. It's kill the spare, Wormtail kills him, done, we're moving on. Um, and you see the fallout of that when Harry makes it back to Hogwarts. And then Order of the Phoenix is so interesting because it's all this adolescent, like, teenage rage that Harry is feeling constantly um, and feelings of isolation, and he's so alone. Um, and so I think that that is... You know, aside from the the world that J.K. Rowling built and and how lived in and real it feels, things like that are what keeps a franchise like that alive long after it's done because people really identify with that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think that also gets back, going back into Spider-Man Homecoming, even Far From Home, I think, mm -hmm. builds on that. We mentioned earlier how some sometimes circumstances are thrust upon you that you don't want to deal with, right? Similar to Spider-Verse. Miles gets his powers, and he doesn't necessarily want them. I think Peter is really feeling the pressure in Far From Home of, of who is the next Tony Stark, who is the next Avenger, the leader of the Avengers. And I think he doesn't want it, right? He okay. tries to give 
the glass is the Mysterio. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely interesting to see how that all happens and how and how Peter is growing in the in the MCU right now. Um, yeah. And then, like a real success of these companies, um, specifically talking about the Harry Potter franchise and I guess the Spider-Man franchise, is targeting that that demographic and then having you grow up with the yeah. characters. Like Harry Potter, one of the reasons I think it was so successful was because the characters were the same age as the people watching mm. it, and then you literally grew up with them. Like yeah. you watch the the actors get older, you watch the characters in the films get older, and then just by the end of it you guys ended up in this place where everyone kind of felt the same thing. Right. And it was like the characters kind of jumped into reality. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we could do a whole episode on, we could do a whole number of episodes on Harry Potter, but the, the credit to, to casting, to, to find these kids who are kids, like you're saying, um, and have them grow into the roles and grow into the people that they needed to be is just, you know, I don't know if that'll ever be done again with that level of success, that that collection of talent for all these kids to to grow into something this special and for you to be able to grow into a franchise like this is just an amazing accomplishment in cinema. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess that's good for coming-of-age films. Um, what have you guys seen recently that you'd like to talk about? Uh, I'll go first. Um, I recently saw Parasite, um, Bong Joon-ho's movie from this year. It's a, a South Korean film. Um, and a lot of people uh, were buzzing about it, you know, as maybe one of the best movies of the year. Um, Bong Joon-ho did uh, Snowpiercer. He's a great director. Um, and this movie, you know, three-word review is believe the hype. If, if you've heard about the hype, it, it's, it's real. It's very good um, and sort of like runs the gamut of of emotions and and feelings that you experience as a viewer of this movie um one critic said that uh roughly um that it starts as one thing and turns into something completely different um and i'm not going to get into plot details because i'd like for people to see this movie and i don't want to spoil anything um but i think that that is certainly true of this movie um, you go in sort of expecting one thing and then you're getting it for a while um, and then it transforms into not another story entirely but a story told in a very different way um, and it's very interesting to watch it all unfold. Um, there's moments of levity, there's incredibly tense moments, um, some parts make for a very stressful viewing experience uh, but I think all of that is in the name of a director that's being really effective at, at what he's making. Um, so I would recommend going to see Parasite. <laughs> yeah. um, I've recently been watching Living With Yourself on Netflix, um, starring Paul Rudd. And this show is just bonkers. Like, I remember the first trailer when it came out, and I thought the premise was really cool, that, that like, he clones himself, and this clone of him is better than him in every way, right? He's smarter, he's funny, he, he just he does better at work, things like that. His, his hair is slicked back. You know, so it's that the idea of what if there was a better version of you out there or that you could make, right? But anyway, this isn't a spoiler for the show, but in the first episode, when Paul Rudd goes through this cloning process, you're supposed to die. After your clone is born, you're supposed to be killed. And then your clone just takes your place in society, right? But that doesn't happen. So now we have the show play out where it's Paul Rudd and Paul Rudd 
and one's better and one's worse. And I think that's just, it's such an interesting premise so far. I'm on episode five, so I'm still watching, but uh, I really like it. <laughs> and then I w- I'll add to that before I yeah. talk about my thing, but I think the theme of the show really is, and this isn't a spoiler, I promise, mm-hmm. uh, is um, is being better really better? Yeah. Like for yeah. you and your place in society, like our faults, what makes us a person? And does that make us any less human if we're perfect? And I think that's a really interesting to take on cloning uh, in a comedic sense because it's Paul Rudd and I think he's hilarious. He's yeah. one of my favorite actors. Um, so what I saw recently, I rewatched. I want to bring it up because I love it so much, Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. Uh, I saw it for the first time in years. And that's such a, it's a movie about, um, I guess I would say like the death of a time period. Mm. Like it talks about war and there's no quite clear like sides to the war and it's about this beautiful hotel that's kind of preserving an old european sense and um it's about how that that's lost and the people are kind of um there's no place for them in society anymore but this hotel um and that's like a very meta (laughs) meta view of the film because it's a comedy and a kind of a uh i wouldn't call it a coming of age but what would you call it like a drama yeah yeah so but that's worth checking out and check it out anywhere nowadays and then the other one I wanted... Is it okay if I bring up two? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is an, an anime film I saw for the first time in a special preview, I guess, at the, the Regal. Mm. And uh, it's called Your Name. Okay. And it's about... A, it's a boy meets girl story, but the thing is there's, like, time travel weird stuff. Like, the girl uh, passed away in a, an explosion, like a bomb explosion, like, 100 years ago. And some time paradox allows her to meet the the boy and it's about their journey of trying to remember each other even though they've never really really met because of this time issue it's worth checking out it's the only film i've ever cried at really? wow. the only film yeah wow. it's really emotional and at the end when when the the finale culminates you really feel for the characters and what mm. happens and that's it's amazing right. <laughs> yeah and, and i just want to touch on um parasite because i've I recognize that I, I recommended it without really talking about what it's about. Um, so Parasite, uh, at its heart, is about um, class struggle and inequality um, told in a very fascinating way. And uh, I'll say it's it's a South Korean film and, and the dialogue is all Korean. Um, so you more than likely have to watch it with subtitles. Uh, but the themes are so universal uh, that that doesn't matter. The 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 way the story is told visually, um, you you get it. So uh, if you're interested in income inequality and 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 class struggle and and where certain people fit in the world, uh, I would definitely recommend that. And Grand Budapest Hotel is so good. Yeah. Um, if you've seen anything Wes Anderson, you know if you've seen The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou or the Royal Tenenbaums, and for some reason you missed this one, you have to check it out because Grand Budapest Hotel is so great. Well, like bringing, back, bringing it back to both our previous conversations, Martin Scorsese, one of the things he said was aesthetic makes a cin- like cinema in the mm-hmm. that we read. Um, so Wes Anderson has aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say anything on that. Uh, such, his films really pick, like, grab a time period. And then Moonrise Kingdom is such mm-hmm. a coming-of-age film, I think, that it... I can't believe I didn't bring it up when we were talking yeah. about it. <laughs> Wes Anderson styles for miles. Yeah. So a lot of good stuff. I mean, I was just thinking about the coming of age films that we didn't talk about. I mean, Lady Bird we didn't mention. Yeah. I can't I just, believe I didn't mention Lady Bird. Yeah. I'm sorry, Greta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't wait for Little Women yeah. this year. But uh, there's just so much, so much out there to see. 
But um, that wraps it up for today, episode five of Chatting Cinema. Thank you for watching. Thank you, Alex, for being here. Come back anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, and thank you to SSTV, as always, for allowing us to use the equipment in the studio. It's greatly appreciated. Um, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.